There we go. All right, so we're in Philemon. We're going to actually start the actual ver uh, study of the verses, and uh, we're going to read the first seven verses and uh, see what we can unpack from that. So in Philemon, uh, only again, only one chapter, only about 25 verses total. We'll read the first seven today. And it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and um, to Aphia, uh, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may uh, be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. All right, let's... Um, I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Um, first of all, it, what we have here is we, we have two writers that are identified, although it would appear that Timothy is secondary as a writer. I I'm, I'm often wonder why he's mentioned. I'm not really sure. But apparently he had a uh, significant ministry um, in Ephesus, and perhaps as a result of that, since it's only about 100 miles from Colossi, perhaps that is the reason maybe he had had contact with some of the, the leaders of the church and maybe some of just the regular members of the church as well. And since uh, uh, Timothy is apparently in Rome with Paul at the time, um, they decide that Timothy is included in the in this area. Now, it's interesting that Paul uh, uses a uh, usually when Paul writes, um, um, let me let me back up for just a second and just say this. Often, when we do Bible studies, we skip over that opening passage, you know, because it's just an introduction, right? It's just telling us it's Paul and who he's writing to, and that there isn't a whole lot to be gathered in there. And I think actually sometimes we miss things when we do that, when we choose to do that. So I'm going to spend a little time just unpacking a little bit of this. And so when it says, you know, notice normally Paul says, you know, Paul an apostle or Paul a bondservant, maybe both of those are included, uh, you know, in Christ. And instead today in this passage, he says, Paul is a prisoner of the Lord. Um, he doesn't, give himself a title. He doesn't introduce himself as a servant or a slave. He, he says that he's a prisoner of the Lord. He, he actually is stating what his current position is. He's somebody who's in chains. Um, What's the difference in, in, that, in this in Philemon? Like you said, it says a prisoner of Christ. And for example, in Colossians, it's an apostle of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I think to be honest with you, I think that, you know, what we have here is we have a very personal letter that's been written, and there is a certain amount of a desire to, to set the mood for what he's asking, and he wants to remind Philemon that, hey, I'm in chains, I'm, I'm suffering, and I'm doing it gladly and willingly, 
but it's kind of like, you know, just to, I, I, I'm, I take it as though he's saying, hey, I want you to realize uh, that I'm doing this because I love the church and I love the brethren and I love Christ. And I'm willing to do that if that's what Christ calls us to do. So I think that's what it is. I think he's also saying, in essence, um, I, I want you to realize that I'm making a sacrifice and the sacrifice that I'm making is going to, I, I want it to play on your conscience when I'm asking you to do what, what I'm going to ask you to do in this letter. So I think he's kind of setting up Philemon to remind him, hey, I have a reason for asking this. And um, not so much that you owe it to me, but I want you to feel that maybe you need to consider what I say with a, a little a little stronger than if it was coming from someone who hadn't, wasn't in the kind of circumstances I'm in. The fact that he's in the circumstances and now is instead of worrying about himself, is still worrying about the church, I think is rather significant. Yeah, because I just did a quick review of the other letters and, and they either start out as an apostle of Christ or a servant of Christ. Yep. yep. And, you know, by pointing out that he's a prisoner, uh, I think that does have some significance. Yep. This is, again, one of those times is, you know, it's the ponderance of the evidence against and, and for. And the fact that he did, chooses not to mention that, but he chooses to mention, yeah, you're right. It's, yeah. So he's, he does that, and I think he's using this because uh, while he doesn't – yeah, I think he's using – personally, I think he's doing this to kind of prime the pump. Hey, I'm going to ask you something. I want you to remember, don't forget, I'm, I'm in chains. I'm, I'm in prisoner, and I'm here for the cause of Christ. So that's my opinion. There'll be, there'll be, there are some scholars that disagree with that, but oh, well. Um, it won't be the first time that I've disagreed with certain scholars. Uh, it also won't be the first time that I've agreed with a few. So um, notice that it goes on to say, this is kind of interesting. Uh, Philemon is a, apparently a man of means. We've discussed this already because he has a house and he has a slave. If you have a slave, you have to have a certain amount of money. If he has multiple slaves, he has a lot more money. Uh, he has a house that's big enough to have a church uh, meet in it comfortably. Uh, when we were in Sicily, we've uh, we've met in a couple of places. I think one of them was uh, uh, when we were actually in Sardinia. We we met in uh, uh, this little church in Quartu. They they've been meeting in, in people's homes. Uh, that's got to be pretty wild to pack you know fifty people or so in, into a house. And, and hopefully be big enough that you can get them all kind of together and then hold a service. Uh, so Philemon's got a, and, and that wasn't, that wasn't that big of a house. Uh, Danny, you were there, I remember, and, and Giuseppe was there. We were in, uh, I think we were in Daniela's mother's house. Is that right, G? No, we, was uh, Alessandra. Alexandra. Okay. All right. Yeah. That, her house. And then we were in, uh, we were in, uh, Daniela and uh, Tito's uh, place uh, House, yeah. afterwards, and then we had the big the big meal there. Okay. So uh, 
and then notice that we're actually, this is a personal letter, but it's being written to, it includes four different people or four groups of people. We've got Philemon, we've got uh, Apphia, uh, Archippus, and then the house, the church that meets in your house. So obviously you've got Philemon. That's the one that this story is, uh, that this letter is being actually written to. And uh, he calls him uh, my my dear friend and fellow worker. So he is someone, he considers Philemon a friend and he's going to ask a request of him is what he's, he's setting up to do. And he's willing to risk his friendship with Philemon in order to be the agent of reconciliation. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is when you're the guy that's trying to make peace with two warring parties, how often you end up being the bad guy? A punching bag. Yeah, really. And, and Paul is willing to walk into that in order to make that happen. I, I've had opportunities where I've counseled um, uh, couples, and uh, I got to tell you, sometimes I feel like a punching bag when I'm counseling with them. <laughs> you can't seem to, you know, what what seems obvious from an outsider who's who's come into the to the mix is is relatively not obvious to everyone else you know it just they struggle sometimes to come to what seems like should be an easy conclusion but anyhow well before we go further uh i just want to back up you mentioned timothy mm -hmm. you know it's all i got my fingers in all these places because yeah. so first corinthians um Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the two. The, so the first part is the from, yep. the from Paul. And, and he, so he includes Sosthenes and then 2 Corinthians and Timothy, Philippians and Timothy, 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy. So if you remember Galatians, I think it was Galatians. He said, I, Paul wrote this with my own hand, you see what yep. large letters. Yep. So, you know, and, and I believe it's true is that when, when Christ appeared to Paul and he fell on the ground, that he was actually blinded and he was, remember he was in the house and I think it was Simon that came and laid hands on him. And I think he received his sight, but maybe not a hundred percent. And I think, all these, I think all these people actually wrote the books as, as Paul dictated them or somehow yeah. helped them, him to write them. In fact, a few of them. Some of the some of them said, "I think I think it's Romans. I think we actually have the name of the uh, the guy that wrote it. It's at the very back, the last." Um, I think what happens is Paul sometimes signs the letters or s sends a, a final greeting at the end of the letter in his own handwriting, so that they know that it's Paul. But he has some something called an anamnesis, which is a person, a scribe, basically who writes. Um, yeah, let's see if I can find Tertius. It. it was Tertius. Tertius. Is that it? Okay, I'm, I'm looking for yeah. it. Romans uh, yep. 16. I, Tertius, 22. yep, which, by the way, Tertius is, um, and then you notice down later, Quartus. Those are slave names. And just so you, in case you were wondering what they mean, Tertius means three. Guess what Quartus means? Four. <laughs> Four. So your name is four or your name is three, but uh, God knows who they are. 
And Tertius apparently was smart enough to be able to, and educated enough that he could write. So yeah, there's a, uh, it's strange. And it seems like Paul often includes a secondary person with him in his writing uh, as the, uh, as the authors. I'm not, I'm not quite sure why that is. We could probably speculate and maybe get it right. It's hard to say. But notice we have uh, Philemon and then we have uh, Apphia, our sister. Uh, some think that this is a, a distinctive um, Phrygian name, which is the area that they're in. It's possible that she was Philemon's wife. Um, there, are two, there are a couple of factors that seem to indicate that one. There's a very warm personal tone to the letter, which is addressing household, a household situation. And uh, the fact that it, she is so close contextually to Philemon would indicate that uh, perhaps she is. And often women are the ones who take charge of the household affairs. So it's very possible that she also has uh, an interest in uh, Onesimus. Um, Archippus would appear to be perhaps the, the pastor of the church. Uh, some have said that he might be the son of Philemon. We're not sure. We don't have any indication of that for sure, but there are those who have suggested that. And then Paul says, uh, the church that meets in your house. And of course, we've already talked about the fact that often groups meet uh, in the home of a patron, somebody who has enough money to be able to have a large enough home to be able to have a group of people there. So think about think about it like you have a, a home church or a, a Bible study that meets in your home and your home is big enough to be able to host it. You might or might not be the leader of the Bible study, but you might be the host of the home because you have the largest place. My, my mother, when uh, I was in um, uh, high school until, uh, oh man, until I was probably in my 30s, uh, my mother and father had built a home they had an open floor plan uh, in Southgate, just south of Allen Park. And the church that they attended was in Allen Park. It was a large church at one time ran, uh, averaged uh, 3,000, over 3,000 in attendance uh, during the 60s and 70s. So it was a big place. But she built this open floor plan so that she could host parties. Almost every shower that happened it happened in on our main floor in our house mm. and she'd have a hundred people there, hundred ladies, you know, um, she just wanted to host homes. She had a big enough home. She built it with the idea of being able to host and uh, lots and lots of parties that were church related. So Bible studies, parties, uh, and showers, um, all those kinds of things, especially lady stuff. I had a lot of that. I would disappear into my room and be glad when they were gone, saying as, as a teenager. So uh, anyhow, uh, let's go on. There's a couple of things here that kind of are interesting. Well, let's see if we can get through these verses and then we can, I'll try to unpack it. Well, uh, you know what? Let's unpack right now. Think about this. Um, This salutation reveals that Paul believes in our goodness and, in, and wants to encourage us to be supportive in a community of believing Christians. Notice that he's 
He's writing to Philemon, who has the sole legal authority over what to do about Onesimus. But who does he include in the letter? The church. Philemon has the final authority, but he expects the church to listen in on this private matter. He includes them in the decision. Now they don't have a they don't have a final say, but they have a voice. He he understands that the individual moral decisions are going to affect an entire believing community, and apparently assumes that the best way to make ethical decisions is to have it in a communal context of faith. What would happen if we had? There are times when we have to make major decisions that affect more than just us. And Paul is suggesting, by the way, this letter is, is, is written in the first, just even the first three verses. He's saying, we need to include more than just Philemon and Onesimus in it, more than just Philemon and his household. We need to include the church. Why? Because they're an integral part of this whole thing. What would happen if we had, would, would, we, would we appreciate people getting involved in our personal business? Isn't that doesn't that go against the way we are as, you know, Westerners? We're individual. We get to make our own choices. We don't need anybody else to be involved in that. Sometimes they need different counsel, though, some counsel. Yeah. It, it would seem that, that what Paul is doing is that he's insinuating that the church has some say in personal relationships and business decisions that we might consider to be ours alone. Silence, huh? No one wants to take that up. The Listen church has changed <laughs> also. Right? What's that? Yeah, the church has changed a little bit, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe we're too remember that. Remember the uh, gold and silver have I none, you know. Uh, the church can no longer say that. and uh, No longer can the church say to the lame man rise up and walk. So, you know, it, we, and, and God isn't striking dead people for lying anymore. Uh, the, the church is a little bit different now. So you, 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 so is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? No, we, it, it's no. When we were, I think at the origin, we were. No, no, it's pure, <laughs> but uh, sin has its effect over time. Okay, That's, all right, it's a valid possibility. I, I, I happen to think it, it's a little, a little more than that. Um, I think it has to do with Eastern thought and Western thought. We've talked about this. I think our society prizes individualism, uh, and most would not appreciate a church a church getting involved in uh, what was obviously a personal correspondence or personal decision. I don't think that that, that if you know if we had a personal possess if we had property, which is what Onesimus is considered in Roman society. Uh, would we really want people involved in our making a decision of what to do with our own personal property? It's mine. Who are you to say what I can and can't do? So I think that Paul is approaching this very different than what our, the way we do in the West. And I think that it has to do with um, Eastern thought versus Western thought, communal versus individual. 
Uh, I think he, I think Paul was assuming, at least in the first century, that Christians lived and acted out of a communal context, and they functioned in the same sense as kind of an extended family. I think maybe, maybe if we had a smaller church, or if we if we had more of a house church kind of mentality, it would be easier to do that. It's kind of embarrassing to do that in you know to it'd be really embarrassing to do it in front of twenty thousand people. You know, like Kensington, let's say Kensington has 20,000 in attendance online and offline. It'd be really kind of tough to do. But if it was a small group that you were invested in, in each other, I think you could come to each other for, I, I, I think I would, I might be able to come to some of you for advice. There are a few of you I'm not too sure about, but I think most of you, <laughs> most of you, I would, uh, I would value your, your wisdom, you know, What's Proverbs say? George, you've been reading Proverbs a lot lately. Uh, what's it say about uh, wisdom comes from uh, listening to more than one person? Yeah, counsel, sure. Yeah. In the, in the counsel of many, there's wisdom or something like that. I forget the exact, uh, that's Val's really bad paraphrase. It's pretty close. So, uh, there's safety. It basically says there's safety. Yeah. yeah. Counsel. So, the wisdom from your council would be strong from this group. Oh, I I think that if, I think I would listen to some of the things I've listened to some of the things you've said over the past. Not not that I've had to make a decision about you know a personal matter, but um, you guys have come up with some great ideas that we even that we have put into our group that that was it wasn't mine. It was yours. One of the guys was the first one, someone in our group originally said, hey, could we come with you to, to Sicily? I said, yeah, I never thought of that, but sure, why not? So we started taking groups with us to Sicily or Sardinia. And Rick went with me to Cuba. Tom went with me one time to, to Sicily. So Tom, uh, Tom, the, uh, Tom, our dentist friend. Yep. Uh, so uh, I think there's a, uh, there's wisdom sometimes that comes from others. There's times that you, we just don't see it because we're in the midst of the fight or we're in the midst of the battle or whatever. And sometimes just somebody who's a little more, a little more distanced than us can see our way clearly. Yeah, and given the uh, given the small group nature of this church he's writing to, mm -hmm. uh, these people are probably more than just parishioners. They're friends yeah. of Philemon. Yeah. And Paul, in this letter, it seems like he's he's playing all the cards of persuasion he can to get Onesimus released. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that would be that would be my take on it too. He is using I mean, every means possible to. Achieve. I mean, other than issuing a direct command, and he says, "Well, I could do that, but I'm not right. going to do it." And uh, <laughs> and you owe me your very soul, but <laughs> yeah, it's just a request. But, you know? Yeah, if you know, if if you want to break my heart. And really, you know, angry. You know. <laughs> so yeah. Paul must have had a, a lot of affection for this Onesimus. To, he's going all out to get him released, and yeah. and he's using the social persuasion of this guy's uh, small group to have, make it happen. So think about maybe it. we don't. Go ahead, George. Maybe we don't know that if Silemon had even asked Paul for advice. Possible. We again. As I said, when we first started, we were coming yeah. in the middle of a yeah. 
of a conversation. We don't know the front end and we don't know the, the back end. We know the middle. That's all we have to, to work with. So you're right. It could be that Philemon and, and Paul have had a discussion that just isn't included in our information. Um, yeah. We're not, we're not told. Yeah. A good, it's a good observation. Of course, they can't, they couldn't sit there and dialogue like we are now either. So given uh, time and distance, I don't know how often a letter went back and forth, but True. maybe months would go by before True. they'd actually hear something. Right. It, almost, almost like that uh, commercial. I don't remember who, what, if it's a, for a car or what it is, where the guy drives over to somebody's house, rings the doorbell, knocks on the door, and he comes there and, and he answers. Uh, he, he just spouts something oh, off, yeah. and the guy says, "Oh, are you answering my text?" Yeah. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a car ad, I think. Yeah, it's, I think it's a car ad. And then the guy goes, LOL, come on in. You know, it's like... <laughs> Can you imagine in this day and time trying to play chess by mail? I think that's kind of what Paul was doing, you know. That's making an interesting it observation. Yeah. Because it's like for us to stay focused that long for the next correspondence, and still stay on task and still stay on track is to me is amazing given our, our current culture. Well, I find it amazing that people can have that kind of dedication to, to have done something like that by, by letter anyhow, because I, I would not be, I could not remember the board the way that they, uh, you know, some of these guys were able to do it in years gone by. All right. Any other thoughts before we go on, we'll actually get into verse four. We've got 10 <laughs> minutes. Yep. We'll make it a little ways. Looked at, I looked at Proverbs that you mentioned, and, and it, you know, so 11.14 says, uh, without counsels, will people fall? Deliverance is in a multitude of counselors. Yep, that's the one. And, and well, 15.22 says, yeah. uh, without counsel, a multitude of counselors, uh, they are established referring to plans. Yep. And then 15, and it says, uh, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counsel, counselors, there is safety. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for plans that make us for war, deliverance is in a multitude of counsels. So counselors, so that it's in there a number of times, all in Proverbs. Yeah. 24, 24, 5, and 6, too. There's a lot of them. There's just uh, yeah. The important thing, though, is to seek the counsel that somebody has been successful, I know, in an area. Right. Probably. Probably. It's uh, and someone who has a few years on them, maybe right. at least a little wisdom. Yeah, my. It's it's kind of interesting. Our our society is is much more involved in wanting younger people to take leadership, and and I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, my father-in-law though used to say that he he used to argue. And he was on a deacon board, and, and in that church, the deacons were kind of the leaders of the church. They were the ones that made major decisions, along with the pastor. Uh, his argument was that you, no one should be a lead pastor until they're at least 50 years of age. Hmm. He felt like that they didn't have the life experience to be able to counsel people that were uh, significantly younger, uh, and 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 as a young person, it was kind of 
unlikely that they could offer a lot of experience or a lot of wisdom to somebody who was much older than they were. And uh, of course, you know, he, he was saying that and they went out and hired a, a young guy to lead the church. The church grew big and then the guy had an affair. <laughs> <laughs> so much the for week, wisdom. <laughs> the, week, the week that we were, that he was supposed to marry my wife and I, he, he, he ran off with a woman. <laughs> oh, yeah. It made for a very interesting wedding. <laughs> so you found a, new, people, a new person to marry you? Well, we had, yeah, and the, the bylaws of the church said you had to have somebody from the church to marry you because we had, my wife's uncle was going to participate in it. He was a pastor in another church in Ohio. And my, our lead pastor at our church had, had uh, uh, agreed to participate. So it was, ended up being a, a three-ring circus. We had oh, wow. three guys up there doing uh, their thing, you know. And the rabbi. Guy. And the Sorry? rabbi, too. And you had the rabbi, too. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but it worked. You're still married. When, uh, when we got married, uh, my, uh, my wife's grandfather was a Greek Orthodox um, oh, wow. priest. And uh, so we got married in the Catholic Church, and we had to have special permission. And so uh, uh, he uh, he was able to participate along with the priest, but there there had to be this uh, this special uh, uh, yeah permission allowed by the Archbishop. Yeah, it was yeah. our situation. Well, of course, it was a Baptist situation, but it was yeah same sort of thing. Oh no, our our, our one of our pastors has to marry you. Oh wow. It's a weird thing now. Now, some some younger people that like they, they'll have a friend marry them. They'll just like send off for some uh, fly by night authorization, and and like their buddy will perform the wedding. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of we have a friend that's a we have a friend that's a dentist. And he's got that. He's married a number of people. Yeah. Just got a degree, and he can marry people legally in the state of Michigan. They're yeah, called an officiant. Yeah. Okay. Well, you, you can get a, a, a license or, or an ordination from uh, almost any place. They're online. Yeah. It's pretty simple. It's pretty much just agree to what we agree and send your money in. We'll, we'll <laughs> say the magic words over you. As long as you send the money, they'll, they'll say the magic words over you and make you ordained, you know, or licensed as the case may be. Yeah. Yeah, I looked, years ago, I looked into that. And I thought, you know what? If someone ever asks you where were you ordained, that's going to be a that's a lousy place to. <laughs> I don't think people ask anymore. Yeah, really. <laughs> I don't think. Well, you know, I was just thinking about trying to get a job, and you know, every once in a while they say, "Well, you know, were you ordained? Where were you ordained?" Just on the on the questionnaire, that you end up filling out, and I thought, you know, you don't want to say it was from. Uh, Bud's uh, towing and ordination <laughs> church, you know, or whatever. <laughs> I thought that probably wouldn't look well on it. On a, there you go. Well, we're just we're just passing. You know what? I am not going to go past. I'm not going to do four through seven because we'll we won't get through it. Uh, I will just say this. Uh, he starts off the way he does a lot of his prayers and just as an overview, he always starts with Thanksgiving. Paul always starts with Thanksgiving and he always has a, a general Thanksgiving and then a, a specific in his Thanksgiving. 
verses four and five. You think about this. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. So, of course, the question then that, that uh, uh, the leaders of the scholars want, well, is he thanking God only when he remembers them or that he always remembers them and as he, and as he remembers them, he thanks God? Which is it? Which comes first, the egg or the chicken, you know? Is he always thanking God and, and whenever he remembers the saints, he brings them up? Or is it that he always remembers them when he's thanking God? Chicken. I don't know the answer. But it is an interesting conundrum that we don't know. And maybe it isn't so interesting for you. Maybe it's just for me. But I'd like to think that regardless that God brings to our minds people we need to remember in prayer at certain times. You know, and uh, when it, that happens, uh, I think we need to pray for them. Whether it's to thank God for them or uh, whether it's to uh, pray for them specifically about something that's going on in their lives. So we should call down fire all the time or what? <laughs> sure, yeah. I'm going to be, I want to be one of the sons of Zebedee, dude. Can you imagine if we had competing, competing pastors calling down fire? <laughs> when I was, when I was in college, I swear we had, we had pastors that were leaders of, of the Christian community that were at odds with each other. And part of their Sunday services were always to call down fire on all of their opponents. See, it was just, <laughs> didn't matter what side of the fence you were on. Somebody was always, you're asking God to strike them and smite them. And, you know, it's, it's like, dude, they're, they're believers like you, you know, they're, they won't be on your same street. They'll be on another street. In heaven. Yeah. Oh, well. There's 12 uh, gates. There's 12 gates to get through, right? That's right. Yeah. Maybe yeah, 12 gates. Yeah, so there could be 12 different sections, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. At least for the Jews. Yeah. Each of those is supposed to correspond with one of the, uh, one of the, the one of the, the uh, tribes, isn't it? I think. Yeah. It's like 12 foundations. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you guys have been good. Just remember this. Vote early and vote often. <laughs> and that's where I'm headed to vote. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs>